0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 21st, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The President and Secretary of State have issued a non-apology apology via Pakistani television over a film claimed to be the impetus for widespread violent protests in several countries. But in pinning the problem on a film and not ongoing deep military intervention in the region, the United States is playing into a delusion. Malou Innocent, a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute, comments. Since our founding, the United States has been a nation that respects all faiths. We reject all efforts to denigrate the religious beliefs of others.
1: Let me state very clearly, and I hope it is obvious, that the United States government had absolutely nothing to do with this video. We absolutely reject its content and message. America's commitment to religious tolerance goes back to the very beginning of our nation. What struck me about this ad was the lack of emphasis on other core fundamental values that are important to the United States, the primary being the freedom of speech not necessarily religious freedom or tolerance or tolerance for religious freedom or however various permutations you can, you can say that, there was not an emphasis that should have been stressed on an individual's right to express their ideas and beliefs at will. Certainly, President Obama and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton want to stop the protests, some of which have turned violent, um, and also to sort of separate uh, the misconception that Uh, private and public speech in America are one and the same. That said, I think uh, President Obama could have used this opportunity with the the flare-ups across the Middle East and most recently in Pakistan to really emphasize the fact that Americans live under a different set of laws, different set of customs, and that these are fundamental values that we hold incredibly dear and that America should not have to be bending or kowtowing to religious radicals and extremists.
0: But doesn't this kind of apology in response to widespread protests, in response to U.S. occupation and drone strikes and continued intervention by the U.S. in these various countries, doesn't that type of non-apology apology become sort of inevitable when we have a huge number of troops uh, in a country that could once again uh, turn, uh, turn against us?
1: Right. I mean, when the natives are restless, you need to uh, give enough apologies to make sure that you can tamp down the violence and ensure that uh, your presence isn't upended. Uh, That said, I think a lot of these protests, no pun intended, are sort of uh, the the anti-Islamic film as a straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, Certainly these protests... are, are uh, They resonate with a lot of people because there's a deep well of anti-American sentiment in this region, which did not arise just last week as a result of an anti-Islamic film. So I think that's important to stress. Uh, in Pakistan, in particular, I would argue that uh, the you know the quadrupling of drone strikes, uh, the expansion of of the combat in Afghanistan into the border areas of Pakistan, those are issues that resonate and really anger a lot of Pakistanis. And so I think just the anti-Islamic film just really sort of uh, touched a nerve, and then we see this, uh, this spark of protest. But let's remember, I mean, protests are very common in this part of the world, especially within Pakistan. We've seen protests for the past several years against uh, U.S. and Western policies. So um, this isn't something that's necessarily new. Certainly, they're, they've taken on a life of their own, and they've become much more violent. But again, I must stress that, when the United States and when the president in particular uh, sort of does what is essentially a sort of an apology uh, for, for the act of a private citizen, um, it doesn't shine the best light on our freedom of speech, and that was something that the president and the secretary of state should have emphasized.
0: John McCain uh, recently said uh, that the mishandling of the war in Afghanistan by the Obama administration has made it so dangerous that the U.S. should consider withdrawing all troops from the country early uh, that, according to uh, Senator John McCain—this is from The Hill— And looking at this from the outside in, it almost empowers a lot of the violence that we've seen.
1: It's interesting, yeah. I mean, there's a a very broad, broad, extensive literature on the difference between, you know, Islam, like moderate Islam and Islamists. Um, And certainly there's an argument to be made that uh, when you capitulate um, to a certain level of of behavior, that you induce um, sort of more demands on the person who's making those demands. And so there's this uh, sort of this uh, this cycle of submission and subservience and and what have you. Um, Certainly it can be argued that by withdrawing and scaling down our presence that we're in essence, in essence uh, admitting defeat and capitulating. But I think that also must be weighed against a rigorous cost-benefit analysis of whether we can achieve the goals that we say we want in Afghanistan. Uh, number one, does it require the hundreds of thousands of boots on the ground to have a population-centric counterinsurgency war for the next several decades? Uh, can we create a, a, a political consensus that not even the Afghans themselves can agree on? Can we create a state out of a very corrupt and abusive and predatory regime in Kabul that many Afghans don't like? I mean those are sort of the questions that go beyond the issue of capitulation. It's a question of, are we weakening ourselves in the process?
0: But in terms of the PR uh, battle o- o- over how the United States exits Afghanistan, the cost-benefit analysis that you're talking about should have clearly occurred before the widespread violence broke out.
1: Oh, absolutely. It should have happened uh, before President Obama's uh, surge of uh, over 30,000 troops back in 2009. It should have happened before we decided to plunge into the region in 2002 rather than quickly withdraw our forces after we toppled the Taliban regime and uh, the Al-Qaeda uh, uh, militants that they harbored. Uh, but certainly, I mean, we could have uh, pursued a more uh, sort of a, a path of... Uh, of uh, Something that resembles not this capitulation as, as we say it is now. I think it looks it certainly may look weak, and certainly we've been routed, I think, unfortunately. But we also must come back to the fact that this is um, Osama bin Laden's dream, was this catch-22. We either look weak by plunging into a region and staying indefinitely for a number, a number of years, uh, bleeding economically and militarily and politically as we are in America today, as divisive as we are, or, you know, we, they win, al-Qaeda wins by the fact that we withdraw and defeat and we look weak. Um, he also said, you know, bin Laden said that uh, we are very casualty-averse. So I think either way, when you look at this as sort of a, a win-win for al-Qaeda, I mean, in that respect, if al-Qaeda wins either way, then we should do what's best for ourselves.
0: Secretary of State Clinton, President Obama, and the news media have really uh, sought to define this as being about a— 13-minute YouTube video that is probably quite insulting to uh, Muslims. But by seeking to make that the focal point, I think we once again engage in this sort of delusion that our actions, our broad-based intervention in this entire region is simply uh, without consequence.
1: Right. I, I think that we can't be monocausal about this. It's not just about a film. It's not just about U.S. policies. It's not just about radicalism. It's the scary confluence of all these factors. And this is what's been been stirring uh, for quite some time. I mean, we saw this with the Danish cartoons uh, several years ago. Now we're seeing it with this anti-Islamic film. Um, but I mean, again, I mean, there is a, a radical ideology that persists in many parts of the Muslim world um, that are antithetical to the values and customs and beliefs that we hold dear. Um, that is without quite Question. It is also without question that many people in this region uh, are resolutely opposed to our foreign policies of uh, backing dictators, of assisting corrupt regimes, of launching wars, uh, many, many wars over the course of several decades, um, You know, launching sort of coup d'etats. Uh, these, these sort of things breed resentment. And so I don't think we can narrowly focus on one particular thing, whether that be the anti-Islamic film, or Islamists in general, U.S. foreign policy—I think it's, it's again, I think it's a, it's an outcome of all of those factors uh, converging all at once. And again, I mean, the the Islam- anti-Islamic film is a, a great scapegoat, certainly, but I think it goes much, far beyond uh, that anti-Islamic film. And I wouldn't be surprised if there would be copycats after this, especially given um, how both sides, both. People in the West and those in the Muslim world are sort of just feeding on each other, feeding on the unreasonableness, feeding on the irrationality of of this debate. And they're talking past each other. And I think it is also unfortunate that uh, a number of people in the Muslim world took the bait. They proved... Everything that that anti-Islamic film wanted to, to achieve, it showed that, oh, Muslims are savages and they're angry. And, and it's, it's, it, it, it proves the worst, uh, I think, for, for a lot of people. And I think that also the violence of these protests really just, it turned what could have been a good debate if they were peaceful protests into something that was that's now become completely unmanageable.
0: Malou Innocent is a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of her work at Cato.org.